0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of NFA Talk. I'm Sheldon Clare, President of Canada's National Firearms Association. Uh, Again, tonight we have Jordan Vandenhoff, Ontario Director, Charles Zatch, our Executive Director, lobbyist, and a special guest joining us tonight, Wayne Justinen. Uh, Many of us might know Wayne. He's always been very forthright about his views on gun control. And I I think the essence of it is all gun control is bad. Wayne's been a long time uh, firearms rights advocate. He was back around back in the day with Dave Tomlinson, Ray Laycock, and many others. Uh, he's retired from being an air traffic controller, so he understands about stress, and he understands about the when someone from the government comes to talk to you and says they're here to help. He knows that it's not true. <laughs> so, with, without further ado, uh, let's let's bring Wayne and into the uh, equation. And uh, Wayne, uh, what do you think about? Uh, what's been going on with the liberal gun control and and where do you think we need to go and how do we get there? I guess that's a good theme to talk about in terms of no compromise.
1: Well, um, when we talk about no compromise, I think the first thing we need to understand is that where guns are concerned, any compromise is compromising someone else's rights. I can't tell the government or anybody else, look, I'll take this if you give me that. Because if I do, one of my neighbors, uh, one of my relatives, one of my loved ones is going to get royally screwed on that.
0: Exactly. As an example,
1: um, an RCMP uh, corporal, long retired, came to me. about a year ago, and said, Wayne, I need a handgun for my wife. Uh, We're living in an area that's not great. The police response everywhere is horrible if you got a chance to call 911 in the first place. I said, well, you've been away uh, from the job for a while, and you can't go into a store or come to me and say, I'd like that pistol hand them the money, get a receipt back, and go down to the locals, say, here's the receipt, give me a permit to pick it up so I can bring it in and have you do the paperwork for me. He says, what? Yeah, it takes two licenses, and then what you're going to find is that the uh, CFO is going to tell you you can't buy that handgun because you want it to protect life. And uh, despite what anything says in the book, the CFO only has one criteria for determining whether someone needs a handgun to protect life, whether it's to purchase or under Section 20, buy one. And that criteria is if the person that wants it has so much political or economic clout that it would not be in my best interest to say no. Then I'll decide that he needs it. If he doesn't have that kind of clout, the bureaucratic imperative, just say no, kicks in. By the way, that's where the uh, drug slogan, just say no for the kids, came from. That was the imperative for the bureaucracy, far Uh, back beyond where I was.
0: It sure has been. I've only ever met one person who had a carry permit to protect life. And he was a lawyer who had been involved in some pretty high-profile criminal convictions and and gang activity. He was actually a defense lawyer, not a prosecutor. And I was using him for a particular case. This is many years ago. He's still around practicing law. And I, I, I believe he still has a carry permit. And I went, to, I went to see him to to to, uh, to talk about a, an aspect of law that I was uh, concerned about. It was firearms law. And he happened to mention that he had a, he had a carry permit. And I didn't believe him. And he goes, well, actually, here it is. And he showed me his pistol and he showed me the paperwork. And I was like, Yep. How did you, how did you get that? And he says, Well. He says, and here are the death threats. <laughs> and uh, he, he, he was it was pretty clear that his, his life was at risk from people who were very serious about taking people's lives. And uh, he said, yeah, I'm, I've got this pistol and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, empowered to carry it. And that's the only person I've ever met personally that had that kind of permit. I've met many people who have permits to carry for wilderness care, protection while working. Right but not very many who've been able to uh, have that. And I mean, that was common to have that kind of protection right up into the 70s and early 80s.
1: Yes, in the uh, late 70s, or it was the late 70s, I uh, hired a lawyer on a firearms uh, matter, and uh, he told me that at one point the RCMP had come to him and said, we think you should have a permit to carry because we're hearing these threats about you. And he says, yeah, I know about the threats and I'm not concerned about them. So thank you, but no, I'm not going to bother. Uh, 10 years before that, I had uh, flown uh, Milt Heredance, who was the premier uh, criminal lawyer in Alberta and eventually became a judge down to Lethbridge for a case. Actually he flew down. I brought the airplane back. He was going to come back on airlines when the case was over. And had read oh probably three months before I met him uh an article front page on the uh Calgary Herald about him being one of the few people in Alberta that had a permit to carry. So two lawyers the, that I've It was in the paper <laughs> Oh, yeah, they put it in the paper. And then uh, later on, there was another piece about him where uh, they mentioned that a judge had chewed him out in court because while he was uh, making a summation, he had bent over to pick up a piece of paper off the uh, defendant's desk and uh, his pistol printed and the judge got right ripped because he was carrying a weapon in his uh, court. Mm. But,
0: now they get ripped about carrying a cell phone in court.
1: Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> things, things change as we go along. But what I'm trying to get at here is that we have three big uh, organizations, NFA, CSSA, and uh, CCFR. I can never remember their uh, letters properly, but anyway they are all mostly representing licensed firearms owners and their interests, whether their interests happen to be recreational, hunting, whatever. That's where the, uh, the focus is. That represents about 2.2 million, give or take, Canadians. Now, my personal experience says that there are approximately 5 million Canadians outside of that group who want to either own or own and carry a handgun for protection in Canada.
0: That's about right.
1: And if we want to be able to beat this nonsense that we're uh, butting our head up against the wall for, we need them on side. Totally. We're not getting them on side by saying, as so many have said through the years, all the way back to the 70s. Hey, look, I'm a nice guy. My guns are nice guns. My games are nice games. Please, sir, leave me alone. Kind of like Oliver, instead of, please, sir, can I have more? Uh, please, sir, can I have a little less?
0: Yeah, it's Stop these other guys that me. are the problem, right? They always, it's yeah, always the it's, other it's guy that's the problem. got to
1: be somebody else. And, uh, you know, then we get into the fact that we have a right to arms. We had a right to arms back before Magna Carta. It was just a normal thing in uh, common law. Magna Carta recognized a right to arms and gave it some protection, but left a few people out. Uh, Largely because those people were considered to be somewhat like slaves. And slaves have it different than free men. Slaves have to ask permission to go armed. Whether they're going armed to protect themselves, to hunt, or to play games with their weapons, which is perfectly appropriate. So true. And then... Through through the 80s in Canada, and into the 90s, it was recognized that we had a right to arms. I sat down with an RCMP officer in an interview one day, and uh, at that point, I was one of these boys who thought that you know, as long as people get a whole pile of training, they should be able to carry. They shouldn't have to convince somebody they need the need the gun to protect themselves. And the officer I was talking to said, yeah, but Wayne, some buddy's grandma is going to come in and ask for a permit to carry, and she's not going to be able to meet the criteria that had been set up for training, uh, knowledge, proficiency, the whole bit. And she's got a right to carry to protect herself if she needs Absolutely. that gun to protect herself. And I went, oh, oh. yeah, haven't I been stupid? Mm-hmm. So I grew up a little bit more that day.
0: Well, the training <laughs> courses have always been about providing a barrier to lawful ownership. They've, yeah. always, they've, they've never had anything to do with helping people to get there. It's always oh, been a yeah. way of stopping people from getting there.
1: And uh, if we can come up with a way individually and as organizations to determine what it is that our neighbor wants or needs in relation to guns, as opposed to trying to convince them that what we want or need is a good thing, so they should support us, we might actually get somewhere. Mhm- um I own what is normally referred to as fud guns got a thirty thirty marlin that I paid fifty bucks for back uh fifty years ago, so I've got my money's worth out out of it and then some I have a Ruger bearcat single action twenty two that I taught my kids to shoot with. Taught my grandchildren to shoot with, including last week, the youngest of my grandchildren finally got out and taught him with that, too. And I have a 1911 that I bought in the 70s. I have. uh, Gee, I've got my uh, father-in-law's Lee Enfield. Good gun. But they all fit into one of three categories. They aren't all in one. The rifles are, so far, non-restricted. That Bearcat is a prohibited firearm. Now, I'm not feeling any better about the fact that it's a prohibited firearm today than I would have if it had been made a prohibited weapon back before... uh, C fifty one made all the recreational firearms community feel uh, that they had really accomplished something because all firearms were moved from being restricted or prohibited firearms weapons to protected prohibited or restricted uh, firearms instead of weapons.
0: Well, the criminal code Um, still calls them weapons. The criminal code well, still calls they, them
1: weapons. They still call them weapons, but the classification calls them firearms, which apparently, according to way too many of my friends and acquaintances from way back then and today, uh, was a big win to get them called firearms instead of uh, weapons.
0: I don't think it was a win. I think it was a, it was misleading because when you want to use a firearm for protection, it's it, you're not using it as a as a paperweight or, or a, anything, it, it is in fact sure. a weapon and
2: it's a legitimate use of a firearm. It is. It's you know, interesting too, if I could just interject about yeah, the ahead, Charles. Uh, you know, the, uh, the self-defense part. I mean, this, this cuts to the core in terms of, you know, our, one of our major planks as the the NFA, we feel strongly that we should be able to, you know, have guns for self-protection. Right. And, and this comes, this comes up all the time, especially during this COVID uh, situation. Um you know Canadians like the Americans they're rushing out to buy firearms it's not to go out and do plinking and uh you know collecting and hunting and everything else although that's part of it fear is driving this right mm-hmm. and I see oh, this yeah. in some, I see this in some of the courses I set up right like you know I set up the courses you know um you know at a club that I belong to and uh you know it's, it's surprising to see actually uh refreshing to see a lot of the uh the students are now women and yep. uh so I give my little spiel and I go around going, oh, that's nice to see that you're here and everything else. And they say, so why are you here? Because I need a shotgun for for, self, for self-protection, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, you can't, like you said, say that on your application because it will be uh, rejected. But, you know, it, it cuts to the, the point that, you know, we have compromised a lot in the past, right? We've, we've had these rights and for the sake of public safety and the common good and all the other things that we've been duped to sort of accept, um, you know, we've relinquished some of these rights, and one of those have been, you know, to protect ourselves with firearms, right? And uh, you know, asking for permission from the great unwashed masses out there that really don't care about this anyway, you know, right? That's a lost leader as far as I'm concerned, right? You know, we 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 understand this this situation, we know where our rights have been eroded, and we need to take them back. I mean, you know, <laughs> Protection of life is a God-given inalienable right. The government doesn't have any any moral authority to negate it or even regulate it, right? That is not their job. They're supposed, to protect, they're supposed to protect my rights, and my rights are, first and foremost, my my life and, of course, my property, and they're doing neither, right? So, you know, like I said, asking, asking sort of uh, in a slavish manner, you know, for the ignorant masses out there to you know can i please hold on to my guns i i totally reject that whole thing right yeah absolutely. we are demanding i'm demanding justice now we are demanding justice i want to be treated fairly just like everybody else does i have a right to protect my 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 life with a with a gun or a baseball bat or whatever it is and it's not up to the government or you know the progressive uh, ignorant masses out there to tell me otherwise It's been one of the things that I've heard at the United
0: Nations, which I thought was quite interesting, because there was this one one uh, uh, delegate from Japan who pointed out to me that the reason that people were opposed to gun control in lots of places in the world is because government that that the governments were not able to provide security. And I said to her, I said, well, I said, that's absolutely correct. Governments never have been able to provide security (laughs) and the idea that a government would provide security for people so that they would not just feel safe but actually be safe is is completely farcical. It's not ever going to happen. It cannot happen unless you want to live in a complete police state and then your security is compromised by another factor. Exactly. Uh, so I, 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 I thought to myself, I thought she really does get this at a partial level, but she doesn't get it completely that she thinks it's possible to achieve that security is what the, the, the problem was in the argument that I would have with her. And I, I, I in the context we were looking at, we we're looking at African States where people were trying to take away firearms from their citizens so they could go and slaughter them in, for political religious or ethnic reasons. And I, I, I just found the whole thing disgusting, but it was most definitely about security. And you, you, you see these little phrases inserted into our law over time that appear to give legitimacy to, for particular uses. I mean, one of the things that, you know, we're seeing in the C-71, one of our defenses is uh, suitable for uh, hunting and sporting purposes in Canada. Well, that sounds great, except that was done to limit people's access to firearms, not to Absolutely. give them something they didn't already have.
1: Yeah, Um I spent a month in Japan studying uh, at one of the universities uh, after I retired. And University of Alberta had arranged for us to do uh, a study, you know, a small study on a topic of our own choice while we were there in order to boost the uh, workload to where they would give full credit for the month you were there. Well, I chose firearms law and I found that uh, Japanese law doesn't use the term to protect life. Japanese law uses the term life-saving when they're talking about one of the uses that you can get permission to own a gun for. And Like every other country in the world, whether it's Britain, Jamaica, whatever, there are provisions for somebody who can meet, you know, step over the bar, so to to speak, to get authorization to carry to protect life.
0: But it's illusory for most of us peons.
1: Most people can't get it because they don't have that political clout. But... The provision is always there. I uh, competed in a competition, pistol competition in Arizona with a doctor from Jamaica. And one of my first questions, not being familiar with Jamaican law at the time, was, where do you keep your uh, handguns? You store them here in the States? He says, no, I keep them at home. And in fact... I have a permit to carry, and in fact, I've had to use my pistol on two separate occasions to save my life. Because with our laws, the criminals are so confident in their ability to overwhelm the innocent Mm -hmm. that it is really necessary for everybody. To carry, unfortunately, it's only people like me," he said, "who can actually convince the, uh, in his case, chief of police, to write him a permit.
2: You know, what's interesting, Wayne, is that, you know, once again, you know, the state, you know, state overreach, you know, started this whole gun control thing with pistols and, you know, of yeah. sidearms, right? I, you know, in the states, it was at, you know shortly after the Civil War. You know, some of the first gun controls came on there because, you know, uh, a lot of the uh, you know the people out there feared the newly freed slaves would take up arms and cause havoc. You know, so they yeah. created gun control back then, right, to prohibit them from actually having firearms, right? Right. Not to not to be outdone in Canada. I mean, back in the '30s, when we had a lot of people coming in from Eastern Europe, bringing their uh, you know their red ideology and everything else, and they're fearful of uh, you know the the communist. Uh, you know a threat you know they did the same thing again right so yeah. you know, and it's been it's it's been it was a slippery slope right and it, you know we're we're well down that slope now you know but it's oh, yeah. been politicized and we keep on going and it's it's going because it's an effective wedge issue right the liberals and all the other parties use it very effectively right to you know mm-hmm. create fear and to Pander for votes from the, uh, you know, the ignorant masses out there that really don't know anything and, and will accept anything they say about this and will accept the illusion of of protection by the state, which it isn't. And look what's happening now, you know, criminal violence in you know, some of the big cities, you know, with 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 guns is actually increasing on the liberal watch, despite all the things that they've done. Right. So it doesn't work.
0: No, no, it doesn't work. And what, one of the things, you know, we get asked when we're lobbying politicians for support for some of our, our, our requirements, like we're saying we we want re- review and repeal of most of this nonsense because it doesn't work. It's It's been entirely put out there for civil disarmament purposes, and it isn't serving the, the public. So one of the questions we get asked, and I, I thought I'd, I'd put it to you, Wayne, and see what, what, what you'd say is that they say, well, well, we have to give the people something. The public demands that there be gun control or there be some sort of a, of a, a way of stopping bad guys from getting guns. So they say to us, how do you stop the, the, the bad people from getting lawful access to firearms?
1: Well, my idea about that is not only are we not able to do it, but I don't really think we want to do it. There's a lot of people that will uh, get their backs up immediately over that. Some of them won't have their backs so far up after I explain why. Uh, During the huge uproar after the uh, dozen school shootings that happened in the states back a couple decades ago, where people were asking for teachers to be armed. I uh, looked at it and explained it this way. If my granddaughter is in a junior high or senior high school class or in a university class, and some little scumbag drug dealer who's taking the same class has a pistol in his pocket, when that cowardly killer walks in and starts shooting people because he wants to rack up a score, that little scumbag drug dealer may well save her life. And I would consider that to be a very good thing. Just as I consider it to be a very good thing if some guy who has served his term in prison for murder. He was given a 25-year sentence, walked out, his term's complete. He's not on parole or anything. He's supposed to be a free man. He walks into a store and legally buys a pistol, loads it up, sticks it in his pocket or into a holster, whatever, and goes about his business. I don't consider that to be a bad thing if this guy has a wife and kids at home that need his protection. Because if he's at home when somebody kicks in the door, he's going to be able to protect them. Mm -hmm. But even if one of them manages to dial 911, the police aren't going to be there to protect them. The police show up to take custody of corpses.
0: Yeah, police are police paperwork. are heavy to carry. A pistol's a lot lighter to carry than a police officer, and they, you know, they're, they're
1: very expensive point. too. Yep. But uh, yeah, I I don't uh, see an issue with bad guys having legal access to guns because no matter what you say, no matter what law you write, they're going to have access to guns. And the only reason that the government ever mentions criminals and guns is because they're using people saying they want something done as an excuse for the laws that they're going to write anyway to take our guns away.
0: Oh, yeah. It has nothing to do with public safety to take away our guns. It's about control and it's about a civil disarmament agenda.
1: That's right. And when you talk about civil disarmament, Let's understand what the government considers to be you being disarmed or me being disarmed. They're not talking about us not having a gun or having access to a gun or carrying a gun. They're talking about that being illegal for us to do. We have it unlawfully. And government doesn't care. Not one little bit about criminals having guns. Government expects criminals to have guns, and they expect that somewhere along the line, somewhere in the normal course of events, those criminals are going to come up against the police. The police are going to arrest them for something that probably has nothing at all to do with the gun and throw them in jail and confiscate the gun. And that person is going to get out and go get another one, and the government won't care about it again because, ah, uh, he's just a criminal with a gun. They would really like the four of us to be criminals with guns because I guarantee that not one of us, if we're criminals with guns, is going to be sitting on a public forum like this and giving them a hard time about the covetiosity. Or giving them a hard time about the fact that they're ripping off our oil and gas industry, or any of a thousand other things that we should be ripping them for.
0: Exactly. It's it, it's about encouraging a subservient society that does not engage in critical thinking, just shuts yeah. up and does what it's told, pays its taxes, goes to work, and all the rest. And, and, and anyone who stands up to to challenge any of that gets swatted. And that's, that's exactly right. what this is about. And that's why they want to take away people's firearms. I, I've been looking into the occupation during World War Two in, in France. And I, I've, I've been stunned to see the level of resistance to orders to comply with turning in, in, in weapons by... The, the occupying forces—they tell the French, "But you have to turn in turn in your your firearms, and and you have to bring them here, and you have to do this and this." And it's and the regime is it's remarkably similar language and wording as to what we're seeing nowadays in several countries around the world. And the coercion was was pain of death. Like you, you, yeah. you're if you're we catch you with one of these firearms, we're going to take you out and shoot you. And but
1: they kept them anyway,
0: but they kept them anyway. By yeah. uh, by far, most people. Did not comply even though there were registration records that were yeah. held by the by the government that said who had guns and and it was it surprised me
2: to no end
1: yeah you know sure
2: that's that's funny you just said that I just want to jump in there for a second about the uh, you know about these things in history that sort of are, are coming back right I mean yesterday was a remembrance of the uh, the you know the Holocaust you know that happened right and uh of course, the prime minister came out and pontificated about, you know, how he was, you know, uh, you know, you know, this kind of atrocity shouldn't happen. And I said, what a hypocrite, you know, the same things, the same political finagling and the language and the narrative that led to the uh, separation of the Jewish community in Europe and the demonization by the state for for political gain is happening against us. It's 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 the same formula. And for him to say that, you know, he's against, you know, atrocity against, against that group, and yet, you know, saying, you know, using the same kind of, um, you know, uh, tactics, you know, with uh, another group, which is basically the same thing to alienate us and to, you know, persecute us in the end until we capitulate, like Sheldon was saying, we give up our arms and, you know, be, become nice little slaves. I mean, you know, I, I just found that astounding, right?
0: Well, it's 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 not it's not really astounding. It's almost human nature, you know. Yes, I I I, I remember back in the nineteen nineties when we uh, several of us were involved with big firearms rallies, and and I organized a couple in British Columbia, and there was the big ones, the Fed Up rallies in Ottawa. Uh, one of the organizations from the United States that was uh, participating up here, and I used to write a column for them, was was Jews for the preservation of firearms ownership, mm-hmm. and. They had a very blunt perspective. This was Aaron Zellman. And Wayne, you'd be familiar with Aaron, with Aaron Zellman's stuff. He's passed away uh, now these several years, but his organization still continues. And th- they very much were very hard-hitting. And they said, look, the government is tying the the, the uh, firearms. The government is treating firearms owners just like the, the Nazis treated the Jewish people in the Holocaust. The, yep. The, the ID cards, compulsory searches, all of these things, and they listed them all out, and I and I said, "Well, that's pretty hard hitting." And I looked at you. Look at the audience. And you look at the 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 Weimar Republic's gun laws and the changes that the Nazis made in their race laws to this. It was it's it's really shocking. And then you look at the incremental changes that they've made to our firearms laws over the last fifty years, and it's completely about taking our stuff away and treating us like we are second class or third class citizens and or somehow pariahs. So you see the, they're attacking us as a as a culture and as a people uh just because of our 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 interest in these things. And it's yeah. not okay. Now now Wayne you're in Alberta and you've you've been you've been watching a lot of this stuff for many years, This the, the whole firearms community and the changes and everything we've been seeing. Is there anything that really went, that happened that you looked at as a, has one of these gun control changes? I mean, they're all bad, but any of them stick out to you as being particularly egregious?
1: Well, the, uh, the biggest thing that I see to be particularly egregious is the, uh denial of uh, the right to uh, carry to protect life. Back in the uh, 70s again, a friend of mine moved from uh, Saskatchewan. He had moved in the uh, mid-60s, worked in the newspaper business, moved to Calgary, got a job with one of the big newspapers there, went into the Calgary City Police with his uh, permit from uh, Saskatchewan, and asked them to uh, issue one with his new address on it. And they said, no way on earth are we issuing you that permit. Because it was not just a permit to carry for the gun club, it was a permit to carry to protect his life. Mm -hmm. And Alberta, despite being considered the Texas of Canada, which... Actually, Texas is a good example because in Texas until the uh, early 90s when they passed their concealed carry law, didn't allow you to carry openly or concealed except under specific, uh, I shouldn't say specific, under very limited circumstances. They weren't very specific because for concealed, unless you were on your own property, in your home, in your business, on your ranch or whatever, you couldn't carry concealed at all unless you were uh, in travel status. And while that was generally considered at the time to be crossing two state lines, and the moment you got to where you were going, you were no longer in travel status, despite the fact you were away from home and not traveling, uh, you were no longer considered uh, legit for carrying concealed. Uh, Alberta uh, clamped down on uh, Carry to Protect Life long before, from what I can see, most other provinces did. Quebec was still issuing uh, permits to Carry to Protect Life into the 70s until uh, the FLQ crisis heated up when they canceled them all. In 1970, um, yeah. Saskatchewan was issuing, as far as I can remember, until the uh, NDP got in and uh, turned that province on its head. I assume basically the same thing for BC. Um, British
0: Columbia was a little bit later. I think we, we had a pretty loose regime and it largely had to do with people being, being in a, a very wilderness province, a lot of resource yeah. extraction going on through the sixties as they developed things. But uh, you know, we were, we also had a, uh, a, a similar problem, and I, I I remember having a Washington State concealed carry uh, permit that that I, I I had, and I thought, well, this is good, and then the Washington State uh, Alien Firearms License and the Washington State Concealed Carry permits were all canceled when BC Premier Ujal Desange refused to do a reciprocity agreement with Washington State uh, for Americans going to Alaska. He wouldn't let he wouldn't let them bring their handguns in and, and so on. And oh, then yeah. all of the alien licenses and alien uh, carry permits for Washington State were
1: canceled. What what time. year was that?
0: Ooh, I'm gonna say it was early '90s. Or no, yeah. no, it was when Urgell Desange was in. He canceled. It was been later '90s.
1: Okay, that would be about the same time that uh, my wife and I got letters from Washington State saying that they would not be renewing our concealed carry permits, that uh, ours expired in 98. We got the uh, letter in 97. We still had a year to go. And uh, I checked with them, and the excuse that they were giving was that the um, uh, Form 6 uh, temporary import permits for us to take our guns into the States had changed – Uh, where previously my import permit said reason to protect life during temporary visits to the United States, uh, that was no longer a reason that you could get the import permit. It was sporting purposes. Uh, I had gone from being able to take any gun I wanted down there without an import permit for sporting purposes to needing it, uh, the import permit for uh, protection of life, to not being able to get one for protection of life to now it's just, you're a Canadian. You don't have to uh, have a visa to come to the country. So you don't have to actually have a reason uh, to bring your gun down. You still have to have the import permit, but you don't have to have the reason. But Washington had done the typically Canadian thing, which let's face it, we're not that different than the Americans. Uh, If you are told that you can do this and this, that's the only thing you can do. You can't do anything else. So they said when I asked them about it, well, you can only bring it down for competitions or hunting or a gun show. So you wouldn't be able to carry concealed anyway, even if you had the permit. Because that's not one of the reasons that you're allowed to bring it for, well, in a free nation, and uh, Canada and the states have been relatively free at times, what isn't forbidden
0: is allowed is
1: allowed yes exactly it's and pr- the uh,
0: principle of common law
1: that's right. I was going to uh, file an appeal in Washington state of the refusal to uh, renew. But uh, Washington State then changed the criteria for the alien license.
0: Yes. That, that was and, 2000, 2001 when Ujal signed.
1: Yeah. So uh, that ended that little deal. Now I have a New Hampshire. And uh, if I ever get back to my winter home in Arizona, I'll apply for the Arizona permit as well because uh, they have a, a screwball setup that we won't get into no, right no, now. No, no, no.
0: getting the American stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, thanks, Wayne. It's uh, it's great to have your perspective on all this. I, 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 uh, I very much appreciate it, and I, I, really appreciate your written comments that you provide from time to time on some of our, our uh, groups and sessions, and and, uh, and and to me personally and others. I, I know good, good comments. Pithy stuff because it's like having a moral conscience there. If you start to waver, you just have to look at it and say, "Well, wait a minute. What what does Wayne think about this?" Because uh, it it sort totally of helps bring you back into line about uh, the realities of what we're faced with, and 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 why we're doing this. Right. It's yeah. it's important to have that focus because we really can't be compromising each other. We can't be saying this is a good gun or this is a bad gun. That's simply ridiculous. And I, I, I get really grumpy when I hear people say, well, these are bad guns or these are illegal guns. There's no illegal guns. There should, certainly shouldn't be.
1: But there's well, certainly can be a, simply a firearm.
0: It's simply a firearm. And, and yep. there are certainly people out there who do illegal acts and they need yep. to be punished for those with the full force yep. and weight of the law for their actions. But administrative bureaucratic offenses designed to disarm the public, they're not okay. Well, it's probably a good a place as any to end it for today. Uh, Wayne, I really want to thank you for for joining us today. Jordan, Charles, as always. And uh, thanks, everyone out there in our our audience for for tuning in and listening and watching what we have to say today. And we uh, hope you enjoyed our program. Thank you.
1: Thanks for the invite.
0: You're most welcome.